Tonight I want to speak to you on the subject of agreement. The power of agreement. I'll explain this a little bit more in a moment. I think we all are familiar with laws, physical laws that govern our universe, right? If you're not, whether you know about these laws or not, they're in operation. All you need to do is go fly in an airplane and you are, you're basically uh, utilizing some universal laws, the law of aerodynamics. Uh, there's the law of gravity, which the law of aerodynamics overcomes, right? Uh, the law of gravity, you have all of these laws that govern the universe. Did you know that there are also spiritual laws that work? They are just as reliable, just as consistent as the laws that govern our physical universe. And tonight, we want to talk about one of those laws. I could have entitled this the law of agreement, but uh, it kind of has some legal implications, and I didn't want anybody to be confused. Alana, you know what I'm talking about. So uh, I didn't want to confuse anybody. I think we're going to talk about judicial matters tonight, or attorney talk, no offense attorneys. But tonight, we're going to talk about this law of agreement. I read an interesting historical story that caught my attention. In the 1750s, in Canada, actually outside of Quebec, this is the time that the British and the French were fighting in Canada uh, over control of Quebec. There was a man named Admiral Phipps. He was the commander of the British fleet that was anchored outside of Quebec. And the objective of the British forces were to overcome and take down Quebec. Um, Admiral Phipps, who had the whole British fleet waiting outside of Quebec, was told and given orders to wait, be on hold, until the British land forces arrived, and then they were going to cooperate and coordinate their efforts along with the land forces, and they were supposed to provide, you know, uh, support. Uh, heavy artillery support from the ships onto the city of Quebec for the British Army. However, the army got delayed. So the ships, the naval fleet of the Brits, arrived early. So they have arrived early, and from their view on the ships, they could actually see the cathedrals that were on the city of Quebec, very Catholic area. And they had beautiful cathedrals and they had all of these statues around the, around the, the churches and around the facilities uh, all over Quebec, statues even to this day, of saints. So there's a statue dedicated to St. Peter. And there's a statue over here dedicated to St. So-and-so and St. So-and-so and St. So-and-so. Well, as the Admiral, Admiral Phipps waited for the British Army to arrive, he and his sailors became very annoyed at the appearance of those French Catholic statues of saints. So annoyed that they decided to start firing at them. So they started aiming the cannons towards the statues of the saints and they started firing their heavy artillery to knock out these statues. They were having a blast, man. I mean, they were shooting their cannons and taking out one statue one saint at a time. History doesn't record exactly how many rounds were fired or how many statues were knocked out, but history does record that when the land forces arrived finally, 
And the signal was now given to attack. The admiral discovered that all other ammunition had been used up. And the British could not win the victory at Quebec. They used up their ammunition firing and shooting at the Saints. I think too often today we use too much ammunition firing at the saints. Someone say amen. And the disunity and the dissension that is the result is a sad blight on the body of Christ. I know many people who have said, well, I'd become a Christian if the Christians could just get along. It's not a great excuse. But there is a point. I'll never forget, right after I, I was actually just out of high school and had just, uh, you know, I, I became a follower of Christ when I was six years old. But I had just a year before had an amazing encounter with uh, the Lord where, I mean, I was full on, all in, totally fired up for Jesus. When I returned from doing a stint of evangelism where we were traveling across the U.S. with a, was a, a Christian rock band I was a part of, we came back to our hometown of San Marcos, Texas, just right in between Austin and San Antonio. Came back, and a friend of mine, my closest friend, um, who was attending college there, we decided that we wanted to start a house, a community house. And uh, my friend Bob and I, uh, we hooked up, and we started this house. We rented a house that had like six bedrooms in it. And uh, I remember the owner saying, the two of y'all are renting this? I was like, yeah, yeah. We're going to have some other guys. We're going to rent some rooms out and stuff. They go, okay, okay. So we rented this house, and our vision was to have a community. Now, you've got to remember, we're hippies, right? So, and this is Jesus movement days, right, okay? So we're just, we're just saved hippies, and we're like, it's cool, man. Let's just all get together, man. We're just going to all have time of prayer. Praise God, man. You know. So that's, that's kind of where our heads were at, right? So we started this house, and we even gave it, this, it had this really weird hippie-like name, the Household of the Brethren. Almost sounded cultish, doesn't it? Yeah, today you would think it was a cult, but I promise you it wasn't. We just love Jesus. It was the house, and we put a sign out in front of it. Did you know that, that it wasn't long? I mean, we were in the midst of revival in the city, and people were coming to the Lord, and drug addicts were getting set free, and, and pimps were repenting. I mean, it was incredible. And um, we all of a sudden began to win so many people, new disciples to Jesus, we had no trouble at all. We had a waiting list. We had 16 people living in that house. These were brand new followers of Jesus. All guys, of course. It was, became so successful. Later, we started a house for, this, for women, for the sisters who were coming to Jesus. And what we did is, you know, we all had either jobs or we went to school. You say, well, why would y'all want to do that? We were so convinced that there was something special and unique about lives being so knit together in love and unity that we just wanted to see experienced. You might call it a commune. Call it whatever you wanted. But it was 16 guys who lived together and we had some house rules and basically it was as simple as this. Jesus is Lord. And for you to live here, you have to be a follower of Jesus 110%. 
And we had prayer meetings and nothing was regulated or, or, or governed heavily, but it was just, I mean, there was prayer going on spontaneously. There was organic relationships being built. We were getting so close together. Many of us, we didn't know these guys. They just came to Jesus. And so we're having Bible studies and we're discipling one another. Over the next six months, this group of 16 guys, before that point, only two of us knew each other, became so tight, became so committed to one another out of a love for God and a love for one another. So much in unity that if an issue came up, we dealt with it brother to brother. Matthew 18. There was no junk, craziness, sinful behavior, all that kind of stuff wasn't allowed. In fact, it never became an issue because everybody was so crazy about Jesus. We always had people hanging out, just you know, having fun learning about the Lord. We were so passionately devoted to not only following Jesus, but having a real, authentic expression of harmony, unity. And there's a scripture that grabbed us deep in our hearts. And it's a scripture that simply says this. And I'll, we'll look at it again in a second. They will know you by your love. Unbelievers will know who I am as they see you living, functioning in agreement, harmony, and unity. That scripture compelled us to live together, literally to live together. Obviously, all single guys, you know what I'm saying? But one by one, over the next few years, someone would, you know, graduate or get married. And, but that became the epicenter for a move of God in that community that literally rocked the whole county. I personally believe that there's something to be said about the power of agreement. I want to talk to you tonight about this, and I'm going to just offer you very simple, uh, easy-to-remember points about agreement. Number one is the priority of agreement. Number one, there should be a priority on agreement. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, listen to this. Paul writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. Listen to what he says. I appeal to you. And the language there is strong. He's saying, I'm appealing to you. Listen. Like he's grabbing up to them and taking them by the shirt and shaking them saying, listen, Corinthians, pay attention. I'm appealing to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another. You ever read that before? Agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Wow. If you were to show that to most people, they'd say, that's impossible. But it couldn't be impossible because God through the Paul wouldn't have commanded it if it were impossible. So that tells me that there's something here that should grab our hearts and convince us of the priority of agreement. This is also illustrated in Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 22. You remember when Jesus prayed, this is known as the... Um, this prayer all through John chapter 17, it's Jesus' prayer. We call it the high priestly prayer. 
And without getting to all of it, there's a certain section of it where he's praying for his disciples and then he prays for everyone else who will ever become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is what he prays. Listen to what his prayer is. Who's praying? Jesus. This is the Son of God, Son of Man, praying to his Heavenly Father. Listen to what he prays. My prayer is not for them alone. I'm also praying for those who will believe in me through their message. How many of you think that we're included? Does does that describe you and me? Yeah, and a whole lot of other Christians, right? My prayer is not just for these 12, but also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be what? One. One. In agreement. In unity. Father, just as you were in me and I am in you. Does anybody have any doubt that the Son and the Father were one? No doubts at all, right? Just as you and me, you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the prayer of the Messiah. How do you think the heart of Jesus is broken when Christians do not, will not live in agreement? John 13, 35 compliments it by saying, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If, if, if you will love one another. I can't help but think also, before I get to the power of agreement, of a scripture that's given to us by the prophet Amos in chapter 3, verse 3. It simply says this. This is a scripture that's used in weddings a lot of time, but frankly, it has broad application. This is what it says. How shall we walk together? There's not agreement. That's a powerful principle. By the way, it works for it works for partnerships in business. It's applicable for family. It's applicable for marriage. How will Patricia and Jezreel ever walk together as husband and wife if there's not agreement? There has to be something at the core that is a covenantal agreement. It's true in marriage. It's true in business. It's true in institutions. It's true in churches. And we need to respect and honor that principle of agreement. It's a priority. Now let's just quickly, uh, because our time is short tonight, and we have so much going on, gosh, can we just talk for a second about the immense power of agreement? There's two accounts, an Old Testament and a New Testament, one I just want to quickly draw your attention to. And there's probably things that you already know about these, so I'm not going to treat you like you're you know, fifth grader in Sunday school. But please remember in Genesis chapter 11 records for us a phenomenal historical account of people sometime that lived somewhere between Noah and Abraham in that time frame, okay? Between Noah after the flood and all that, Noah and his family and kids, and then Abraham. Somewhere in between there, the people decided, we want to build a city. And in that city, we're going to put a tower. The tower, the purpose of the tower is we want it to go so high, we want to be able to connect with heaven. That was their intent. It was called Babel. The Tower of Babel. By the way, do you know what the word Babel means? The Hebrew word for Babel means? Someone know? Confusion. The word Babel means confusion. 
These were human beings who were building a city and a tower to reach into heaven. By the way, um, uh, stories, basically, uh, uh, there's accounts now and archaeological proof that they probably have found parts and ruins of this original city in parts of northern Iraq. And do you know what they found on the ruins? Astrological zodiac signs. This was, a, this was basically astrological worship. This was idolatry. This was an effort to use the power of man, to use humanity's potential. Not in God's strength, but in their strength to do something. Now, I don't have time to tell you the whole story. You just have to read on your own again. It's a good one to go back and look at. But there's something that really caught my attention as it relates to the power of agreement. God was watching. You say, duh. Yeah, of course God's watching. But listen to what it says. The Lord decided in verse 5 to come down for a visit. So he comes down. They're, they're in this building program. He comes down for a visit. And do you know what the scripture says he was impressed by? Do you know what it got his attention? Listen, verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. What got God's attention? Their agreement. They are one people. They're all speaking the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now, nothing which they purpose to do, this is God speaking, nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. This is a kind of a reverse example of the power of agreement because this is agreement for evil god observes that the people of babel were speaking one language they had one goal in mind build that tower we want to worship the heavenlies we want to do all this stuff it was all about their selfish ambition it was all selfish independence and pride you can see all those things when you read the story again but what got God's attention was what? Their unity. But it was singleness of mind and agreement for the wrong purpose and cause. And because of what he saw, he said, if they're in unity, there's what? What did he say? Nothing will be impossible for them. You say, how can that be? This was evil. This was ungodly. God is helping us to understand the power of agreement. You get a group, of, a group of people together, led by a tyrant like Hitler, they can actually change a continent. You have people who are motivated by Islamic rage. Who knows? Because they're in agreement, what can happen? What's my point? There's power in agreement. Now, a positive example very quickly in New Testament. You all know because last year we spent the whole year teaching through the book of Acts. And we found that in Acts chapter 2, there was 120 people that got together. And the scripture simply says it this way. They were together in one place, in one accord. As a friend of mine used to say so many years ago, it's a bad joke, but he wasn't talking about being in a Honda together, okay? They were together in one accord. Meaning, I know some of you are slow, but they, 
meaning they were in total singleness of mind and heart, and they were in one place. All together in the upper room. Can Think about this. They're all together in the upper room. God's made a promise, but there's a delay. Ten days, 120 people spent together. Now, listen, I know Christians, you put, you put 120 folks together who call themselves Christians, and in 10 hours, they'll be fighting. Leander, you know what I'm talking about? 10 hours. I don't give them 10 days. 10 hours. 10 days. My theory is, I know I can't prove it, but my theory is it took them 10 days to get into unity. I don't think God was impatient. He's just waiting for them to get in unity. But when they came into unity, boom! The power of the Holy Spirit was poured upon them. My point is what? There's power. When agreement takes place on earth, there's power from heaven that is released. Y'all see the point? There's power in agreement. Let's look quickly at the promise of agreement that we find in Scripture. I think maybe the clearest one is found in Matthew 18. You've heard me mention this Scripture before as a challenge to us as a young church. Matthew 18, verses 19 through 20. Listen to what Jesus said. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth, see, stuff happening on earth, but it's affecting heaven. Watch this. If two of you on earth will agree. Can everybody just say agree? Agree about anything they ask for. Well, that's, that's, that's close to carte blanche agreement. Okay? It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am in their midst. Listen carefully to me. So I, I want to parse this and explain to you what that word means. Because it's, it says there's a promise here if I can get into, if, if my six other 16 brothers who live together, we can allow ourselves to get into real agreement that when we start praying about stuff together, we actually can move mountains. Stuff can happen. Cities can change. Missionaries can be thrust forth into the world. Uh, trafficking can be halted. All kinds of stuff can happen if we just get some people into agreement. The word agree there comes from a Greek word that we get our English word symphony. If just two of you on earth, so it works whether there's two, you, you see the amazing promise for a husband and wife that can get it together and the unfortunate result of those who can't. The promise is of just two, but it'll also work for 20. It'll also work for 200. If you can just harmonize make a symphonic sound now when i was a boy my mother loved the arts so much so that she was determined to expose me so i was forced into piano lessons this is never to be repeated again john All right. piano lessons from the time i was five years old okay Literally for 12 years, piano lessons. I hated every, <laughs> every hour spent. But she also determined that I needed to go and see the local symphony. 
the orchestra play. At five years old, I had to sit through operas, symphonies every year. I've seen Handel's Messiah so many times, I cannot tell you. Okay? That's why I'm so cool today is because all of those the influence on my mother's exposure as a child i'm certain that that's it nonetheless when the symphony played i know this and i played in the orchestra too later. not everyone plays the same instrument and even the row of violinists or the rows the row of trumpets even they don't play the same notes same instrument, different notes. Why? What are we trying to accomplish? The symphonic sound of the orchestra. All together, done at the same time, under the direction of the director. Beautiful. Have you ever heard orchestras warm up? No one's directing. Everyone's on a different. Everyone's on a different page of warming up. And what does it sound like? Chaos. It's like dissonant, chaotic. But finally, all of a sudden, it's like from that point on. That is the word that the Spirit uses here through the mouth of Jesus. If two of you on earth will just come into your prayer potential is exponentially released. If you could ever get a revelation of agreement, you'd stop arguing. Stop fighting. Name calling. I'm not saying you're doing that right now, but if you are, shame on you. You shouldn't. Because look at what we're missing out on. You know this scripture. How good and pleasant it is when God's people, are we God's people? Anybody here tonight God's people? Hopefully most of us. When God's people live together in unity. And it goes on a few other little verses down in Psalm 133 at the end, and it says this, for it is there, where? There, where? Where there is unity. There the Lord does what? One translation is better than this one. It says, he commands a blessing. I don't know about you, but I prefer blessings to curses. And I don't know about you, but I pray God's blessing on my family, on my life, on my job, on this church, all that kind of thing. But if God would command a blessing upon us, wow. There. He will command a blessing. That's the promise of agreement. Finally, I wrap up with this. The process of agreement. Well, I could spend all night talking about the process. But there is a process. And so I've tried to limit it down here to five quick points. Number one, the first thing you have to do is recognize that you need others. This Christian experience, this Christian life is not just about you living on survival island. This is not about just you. You can't take your toys, have it your own way, do it your way without anybody else involved. God has made us and created us to be connected relationally 
in a healthy, functional way with others. He created you to be a social creature. The problem is, is there's so much dysfunction in relationships. But you've got to start by realizing, even as a Christian, you need one another. And the New Testament is full of commands and blessings and promises that will happen if we do the one another's. How do you do the one another's unless you have the kind of a deep relationship? That was what my 16 buddies, that's what we were looking for. How do we get into a lifestyle where we're connected and where we can actually love one another and serve one another and submit to one another and and, and be compassionate for one another? And When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. That's the body of Christ. We had such a compelling passion burning desire to see it we just said we're moving in together we'll work it out and we had a lot of work to do we worked it out we fought listen there it's inevitable in any kind of relationship the honeymoon will pass you know deanna and andrew will find that out the 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 honeymoon will come and it will go And the time will come that in any group or relationship, there will be conflict. The question is not whether or not there will be conflict. The question is, how will you handle the conflict that comes? If you can push through it and follow God's biblical pattern, oh my, oh my. Now you might just come into agreement. Recognize that you need one another. Check out Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 11 sometimes. It says that two are better than one. Number two, build friendships, organic, natural friendships with other believers. I think it's the most natural point. You're free to have whatever kind of friendships you want. But I suggest that if you need friendships, I think the local church is the ideal matrix and environment uh, to have that. I believe God wants an ecosystem in the local church that is supportive of genuine, authentic, love-based relationships. Healthy, not dysfunctional but healthy, not where we put on a smile, everything's good, oh, praise the Lord, and then we turn around and talk about someone. Not like that. Healthy, functional, biblical friendships. It's possible. Give it a try. By the way, journey groups are the perfect place to start building that. Number three, determine to walk in love. You're going to fight. You're going to have a disagreement. You're not gonna. You're not gonna always live. Everything's just peachy, smiley. And if you've been married more than a year, you have discovered this. Some, come on, someone could say Amen now. Amen. Determine. You got. I mean, you've got to be determined. Determined to walk in love. Number four. Remember this. Remember this. Our differences. Remember the symphony. Remember our differences make us better. If it weren't for the trumpet and the violin and the tuba and all the variety of instruments, we wouldn't have the symphony of beauty that we can enjoy. God has made every single one of you different, uniquely designed, and every one of us are a masterpiece. You you are an instrument. You are a part of the body of Christ. But you've got to play your note. You've got to discover your divine design. You've then got to fit into the band. And start learning to play together nicely. Our differences make us better. Aren't you glad? I'm glad that not everybody's like me. I'm glad that not everybody has my gifts. I need your gifts. I need your strengths. I need your passions. Some of you have passions. I don't have those. Thank God you do. 
But together, what, what together we can do. And lastly, just agree on what matters most. The problem is, too many Christians think they've got to agree on everything. We have, to, we have to believe exactly the same about every little jot and tittle. And as a result, they separate and start new denominations every week. Listen, you don't, you don't need to agree with me on everything. However, there are a set of non-negotiables that we have. Okay? And we, one reason that you need to go through connection seminars is to find out what those non-negotiables are, find out what the boundaries are. And in this particular church, you should be thankful because we, we just put an emphasis on the things that are really, really important and then there's a whole lot of other stuff you're going to disagree with i guarantee you in this room most of us would have unique opinions about the end times anybody you think that's true how many you think that not everybody would agree on the same theological doctrinal position about how when where jesus is going to come back how he's going to do it whether we're going to get jerked out of here are uh, all the different options how many of y'all know there's a lot of different views do you think everybody here agrees on that does it no all we need to agree on he's coming back that's, that's pretty that's pretty straightforward eh? he is coming back and there's a other non-negotiables but agree on what matters what that suggests is i have to agree to disagree and we can still walk together and be in agreement Agreeing to disagree on some stuff. Now, the main stuff we got to agree on. So I close with, to show you, you know, to really impress you, we'll close with St. Augustine's quote. Okay? St. Augustine of Hippo. This is his quote. It's used by, have been used by people throughout church history. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, Liberty. That means when it comes to pre, post, mid, we, we're just going to have some liberty. Is that okay? In all things, in all things, there's no excuse. Do you see that? No excuse. Charity. Love must win the day. Follow the process of agreement. And you'll release the power of agreement and the promise of agreement that God has. Father, we thank you that we've learned tonight that the two of us could just agree. <laughs> Great power on heaven in heaven would be released. So, Father, bring us into agreement. Forgive us for the pettiness, for all the stuff that happens. Forgive us, Lord, when we tear down the body of Christ rather than building it up. Show us the most excellent way of love. Send us out this week to make a difference in the world. We pray in your mighty and matchless name. Amen.